Um, <clears throat> so I have a question. What do you guys do when you are discouraged? When you are in a situation where you feel like it seems like the world is caving in right all around you. When your soul is in turmoil, you're really stressed, or it seems like there seems to be a no way out. What do you do? How do you go about dealing with situations like that? I think a lot of people uh, go in different routes and different ways to deal with them. Some people, they try to escape. So when they're really like, uh, when their soul is like mentally and spiritually just really uh, not in a good place, they just turn to playing video games just to get away from that situation or just binge watching or try to pretend like it's not happening. That, no, it's not really happening to you. Some people are in denial. Some people are just trying to flee from it. Some people are trying to somehow medicate themselves. Uh, yeah, not just, you know, just actually taking substance, but, you know, just emotionally, right? To somehow try to numb the pain or whatever the difficulty that those people are going through. How do you deal with issues in your life? Now, last week, I know Pastor Jay uh, talked about, you know, just cautioning us about falling into apostasy because there are so many false voices around us. There are people that are trying to uh, or the voices, especially from the enemy, right, just whispering the things that are not true, the lies. And we will just listen to those things, and that, those things can, these voices can lead us astray if we give, you know, our ears to those kind of things. And just by God's providence, I mean, I, I, was, I didn't know that that's what he was going to be speaking on, but um, because, you know, I started preparing for this message before he I was talking about this, and because um, today I wanted to talk about another prominent voice that we constantly hear, and that is our own voice. Paul Tripp, a respected uh, Christian counselor, said this, of all the voices vying for our attention, there is one voice we hear every day that always grabs our attention, one voice, and that is your own voice. There is no one who talks to you more than you. There is no other voice that you interact with more than you. You are the one who talks to you all the time. Now, I'm not talking about some delusional, like, you know, uh, schizophrenic kind of, uh, kind of thing. I'm talking about really just the thinking that we constantly have. We, when we think about certain things, Right? We have this inner conversation that we have all the time. So I'm not talking about, you know, like the movie A Beautiful Mind, where, you know, is it John Nash, the, the math genius, um, just somehow seeing and hearing voices? That's not what I'm talking about. And because you have this internal conversation with yourself, your own voice is deeply involved in every decision that you make and everything that you do, big or small. Most of the time, our decisions and behaviors are based on our own inner voice. Let me ask you, whose voice did you hear this morning 
to wear the clothes that you're wearing, right? Right now, this, uh, you know, as you are stepping out, going to, right before you go to church, whose voice, voice did you hear, right? I know uh, <laughs> uh, this morning, Grace asked me, asked me, hey, does my, you know, outfit, does, is it okay for, like, picnic? And so I gave her a little, you know, feedback. But most of the time, right, we don't really, we don't need to ask around, right? A lot of things, even starting with a simple decision of wearing clothes, it's not like you didn't really, you just kind of thought to yourself, so what should I wear? Right? Okay, I'm going to wear this for today, depending on the weather, depending on the occasion. So everything that we do, we have this internal conversation with ourselves. Even, you know, as we are reading through the New Testament, what kind of internal conversation have you had each day? You know, because you know, we send out weekly, like the, the passages to read. So when, when, it, when you come to the, oh, okay, oh, this is the, what I'm supposed, oh, we should be reading, or we're encouraged to read. You have one or the other response to that. The thought comes to you, and then you say, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, I should keep up with this. But then there's another side of you, another voice that you hear in yourself, right? Nah, not today. I just don't feel like it. I have too many things to do. I just can't, I just can't do this. Maybe at a later time. I'll get around to it at a later time. Right? Of course, you're not hearing these audible voices, but we have these conversations constantly. And just about everything that we do. So the question is, how Christ-centered and biblical is your inner conversation? When you have this, even like subconsciously, right? when you have these conversations that you, you have with you endlessly, all day long, how biblical and how Christ-centered is your conversation with yourself. Do you normally uh, ignore the, uh, the small voice inside you, kind of exhorting you to trust God when things are not going the way you want? Is your voice so loud, whatever that you are saying, no, okay, and you know what, you know, somehow you kind of know like what the Bible would say or what God would have you do, but the other voice that you hear from yourself your own voice is so loud and insistent that you really kind of just kind of put aside all these other things. And just, ah, yeah, not today. I just don't feel like praying. I just, I have too many things to do. Not today. You have this ongoing, never-ending conversation with yourself, and it is a fact. So the real question is, is your internal conversation Bible-based or impulse-driven? The, cons- uh, the, the content of this conversation makes the most, uh, makes the, the, the most significant impact in our lives. Right? Sometimes and oftentimes, a lot, a lot of it is obviously uh, uh, influenced, impacted by social media 
or the philosophies of this world and uh, what other people tell us. But even more than that, because sometimes we will filter through those things in our mind. And then we, some of it, whatever that we hear, we don't like accept every single thing, right? Some things that you hear, you kind of reject it. No, that's, I, I don't really buy that. Some things are like, oh, yeah, that sounds right, just about right. That sounds appropriate. So we make all these decisions based on the, uh, the voices that we hear within us. So if we listen to ourselves constantly and tuning out any other voice, then we will do whatever we hear inside us. So even now, I mean, of course, right now, you may appear like you are listening to me, but I also know that as you hear, right, you're going to filter through some of the things you hear and say, mm, okay, that sounds about right, okay. I can accept that, but other things I'm like, I'm not so sure what he's saying is something that I should accept. Maybe it's just his own opinion, or it's something, I don't know if I can really, you know, really just uh, agree with that. Sometimes we make that decision. So it's, once again, it's an internal conversation that we have with ourselves. And in this passage that we read, we have a window into the psalmist's mind looking at an internal conversation, right? So, uh, sorry, this, this, yeah. So this, uh, so, uh, this psalm actually gives us, um, gives us an opportunity for us to actually examine, right, his internal conversation and the impact or the difference that this internal conversation had on him. And I think this is a blueprint for us on what we can do as we have our internal conversations. Something that we need to be aware of. And the first thing that we see, there are two main themes that emerge from this psalm. And the first theme is the troubled soul. The psalmist is troubled. He's in turmoil. Even from a casual reading from this, uh, of this psalm, we notice that all is not well with him. He's in anguish. We don't know the exact nature of what he's going through, but it is clear that he's not rejoicing. His soul is downcast. And he you know, even says that there are his enemies that are telling him, right, where is your God? Right? You profess and you, you profess to believe in a God, but you are go- whatever that he's going through, where is your God? Where is your God? His soul is downcast. And maybe some of us, maybe most of us, or just about all of us, can identify with his mood. Maybe the workload is really overwhelming, and you are stressed to the max right now at work. Or there is maybe an ongoing issue in your family. There's just like just some issues simply would not go away. You try to work on it, but it seems like it's just there. It's just an immovable rock in your life. And there is other situations where it seems like there is no sign 
of improving at all. Because of all the things that really uh, drag us or just weigh us down, our soul may be in turmoil. And this passage reveals to us that actually our struggle, that whatever that we are going through is not so unique to us, that we are not alone. Yes, every situation is different. But, uh, but this uh, lets us know that we all go through difficult times where our souls are deeply troubled. And I love the Psalms because they really identify with our human, common human experience and emotions. At times, we are like, oh, man, when we go through tough times. I remember when I was kind of going through, like, midlife crisis. I heard about it, but I was like, yeah, whatever. But there was a period in time that I, I was going through that. I was like, what has, what, what has my life amounted up to? What's my life about? Where, what have I done, really, to, to, to show to, to anyone? Just like, is, is what I'm doing, what I've been doing, is this really what, you know, what, where, like, I'm supposed to be? And so, you know, all these things, when we go through all these troubled times, right, sometimes you wonder, am I the only one? But when we read Psalm, a lot of Psalms, we get to see that many Psalmists, even including David, the man after God's own heart, would go through so much turmoil. So much trouble. It's not like he was like, so every time that all these troubles came, they was like, oh, all is well with me. I have no issues. I, I believe in God, so, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. No, there are many Psalms. You'd be surprised how many Psalms where he was bluntly honest. I was like, I don't know. I am so discouraged. Same thing here in this Psalm, even though it's not written by David. And the psalmists, they are honest with their inner struggles. And I actually find comfort knowing that I am not alone in this. You know, in Psalms, you meet God where you are. In fact, and that's the story of the whole Bible, God meeting us where we are initially. Our rebellion and the ensuing uh, spiritual plight, right? it separates us. It se you know, they separated us from God. And because of our alienation from God, we are racing towards destruction, spiritual death and destruction. We are living a purposeless, meaningless life. We don't even know why we live. Yeah, we may just try to live to have more money and more comfort more social acceptance, and all these things, but we know deep in, in the end, those things don't really matter much. We were chained. We were confused. We were lost. That's where we were, all of us, because of our own sin. Then God comes to us. God came to us through Christ, and he met us where we were, in our hopeless, desperate state. We met God 
where we were. It's not like we were trying to somehow work uh, up ourselves to seek after God or you know, pursue God and say, God, I need you. I'm in this desperate situation, and Lord, God, if you are out there, please come and help me. It wasn't like that. We were still in our rebellion, calling ourselves our own gods, trying to make life somehow more entertaining, more enjoyable. But in our rebellion, that God has come down to us. And here, actually, this passage tells us three causes of the troubled soul. And the first thing that we see is this apparent absence of God. In verses 1 through 4, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before, uh, before God? And in verse 3, my tears have been my, have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throne and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. It doesn't start off by saying that he's in trouble. Rather, he's saying, I am thirsty for God. Just as a deer pants for the, for the flowing streams. I remember one time, um, uh, there was like a, a prayer mountain many, uh, many, many years ago. I was uh, up there and I was just like praying in a prayer mountain and uh, the staff, um, I guess, on a regular, sometimes there are some deers that live around there because it's in the mountain, uh, it's deep in the mountains. And then, like, there was a deer that would come, right, a certain hour. And they know that uh, the deer comes looking for water, and they would just give him, like, a, a gallon of water. And I would just watch it, and it would boom, boom. And it would just, like, take in the whole, like, gallon of water without breaking. It was just incredible. I was like, wow. I guess deers can be that thirsty as a deer pants for their flowing streams. So pants my soul for you. He has this yearning and deep desire for God, strong desire for God. And yet, his soul is still troubled because he feels like God is far, God is far away from him. It seems like he feels like he's forgotten and abandoned by God. He looks to him, but he does not find him. And this sense of alienation from God wasn't and still is not unique. It's not a unique experience. There are many people throughout the world where we feel like people feel like God is far from us. Even the, the, the spiritual, uh, like the, the, the giants such as Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, at one point or another, they felt this remoteness or hidden, uh, like that, that God was really absent in their lives. I mean, when you think about these great men of faith, you would think that they would never go through such experience, that they would never ever struggle with this. But they profess that they were, there was a time in their lives. They felt like God was nowhere to be found. Theologians call it the hiddenness of God. That God, you are just crying out to God, but it seems like he's not there. Even with his thirst for God, his soul is not fully satisfied. 
Maybe he's seeking after God, and yet his soul is not yet still fully satisfied and content. Somehow his soul was troubled. There is that, so that caused him some angst in his soul, the apparent absence of God. And the second cause of his turmoil is the trials. Right? Verse 6 and 7 says, And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount um, Mazar. Deep calls to deep. At the roll of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Waterfalls, breakers, and waves in verse 7, they represent the trials. Trials in life, in his life. Not only the apparent absence of God that he felt, but to compound the anguish. He faces trials. Maybe it's a loneliness. I don't know, whatever else. And same thing with us. Maybe there are some relationship issues that we are going through. Maybe there is a lack of direction. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know with my career right now, the, 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 the track that I'm on. I don't know. What, I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't know. Or, you know, am I ever going to get married? All these uncertainties. And these trials come at us relentlessly like waterfalls, like crashing waves. They just come upon us constantly. How many times have you thought, I barely got over this trial, only to face another one, another trial in no time. Or maybe even as you're going through one particular trial, and there's another trial that comes upon as if that wasn't enough. You're barely holding on to. And then there's yet another trial that's like, you know, just flooding over you. And you're just swamped, it feels like. How many times have we experienced something like that? I remember like, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, many of you guys know, I got married when I was 40, you know, but as I was a single, just ready to mingle, right? I was just like, where is my, you know, come on, Lord, have mercy. And just like, I was, it just that palpable sense of like loneliness was just like, as I was getting older, especially in my like late 30s, I was, like, I was getting really scared. Like, oh my gosh, am I even going to get married? It was a very difficult time in my life, too. Just the trials can really, like, make us really depressed or very discouraged. Not only the, the apparent absence of God and, and um, the trials, and also he faces here opposition. Right? Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? There's a, there are some mean people that are taunting him. Hey, where is your God? You, you say you believe in a God. Where is he? If he really cares for you, where is he? And in verse 9 and 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
And opposition can come in many different shapes and forms. It could be physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, in many different shapes and forms. In the secular culture that we live in, it's, a, it's really hostile. Whenever we stand for the truth, if you try to live according to the word of God, we will be labeled as narrow-minded, intolerant religious fanatics. And it can be disheartening when we are ostracized or marginalized. So these three causes have left him agonizing in his soul. But in his ongoing internal conversation, his soul turns from a troubled soul, soul to a resilient, hopeful soul. And that is the second theme. Because, yeah, that's enough of talking about depressing things, right? The second theme that emerges, and that is the resilient and hopeful soul. But then how did that remarkable transition take place? How did he do it? And that is the the, the crux of this message. I I don't want to dwell on all the negatives. So how? What are we to do when we are in such a place in our lives? What are we to do? And according to this psalm, the first thing, that we can, first thing that we are to do is talk to self. Talk to self. Um, verse 5 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of like self-pep talk. Not talking about some kind of psychological manipulation. You are to, we are to talk to ourselves based on the word of God. Now, if you are keeping up with the scripture reading, you would have read uh, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 this week. There, the younger son, after, uh, we, know, we all know this, uh, the parable of the prodigal son, right? After squandering everything that he had, he had a job. Finally, barely got a job of f***ing pigs. And he was starving. I mean, he was really, he hit the rock bottom. I mean, he was in such a sorry, desperate, pathetic state. And then it turns because he talks to himself. If you go to I, I, and so Luke chapter 15, verse uh, 17, yeah, it says this. But when he came to himself, the prodigal son said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. You see, the guy at first says, no, I cannot, I, I cannot dare entertaining the idea of going back to my father. But then he was so desperate when he was in such uh, angst and such troubled state, 
Finally, what he does is he's talking to himself. Finally, he's talking sense into himself. Here, as well, in this psalm, the psalmist does not dwell on these difficulties or the trouble that he's on. He doesn't keep repeating the discouraging thoughts in his inner conversation with himself. Like, woe is me, everything is lost, God is nowhere to be found. Yeah, I should, yeah, man, all these people are just taunting me. Oh, how discouraging, how dis- depressed uh, I am. Oh, okay, you know, I am finished. This is the end of my life. That's not what he says. But rather, he interrupts his inner voice, because his inner voice is constantly telling him, and the people around him are telling him, where is your God? Yeah, you, you are thirsting after God, but it seems like he's nowhere to be found. Look at the trials that you are going through, all the oppositions that you face. How are you going to ever get over that? Instead of kind of just moping around and just like dwelling on these thoughts, stops it. He interrupts his inner voice that constantly hears. And he questions it, raises the question, is it really the case? Many years ago when I was in a very difficult uh, situation, uh, I felt like I just, I, I, needed, I needed some sanity. Uh, it was involving a you know, church situation. I just couldn't think straight. Because there's so many people that were just saying these things about this uh, that was issue that was going on in the church. And I just couldn't really just share it with anyone. But then so I, I turned to someone, a counselor. And um, so I was just telling him, I was like, oh, you know, all these things were going on. This is what people are thinking. But he's like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you actually hear people saying that to you? I said, no, 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 but you don't understand. Like, that's what they must be thinking. And I was like, no, you did not hear that. So what makes you think that it is true? Is it really the case? So he just kept like questioning and challenging me about the way I was thinking at the time. And I was not thinking straight. I was going nuts. Very like skewed in my way of interpreting everything that was happening in the church. That just taught me, you know, we need to, for once, stop listening. We need to just stop constantly listening to our own voices. Stop it. And instead of listening to yourself, talk to yourself. Speak to yourself. Of course, not with just random thoughts, but with the truth of God's word. Talk to yourself with the truth of God's word. You know, most of the discouragements and troubles in our lives are exacerbated because only listen to ourselves. We constantly just hear this voice in us, right? This, you know, the voice with, you know, the, the little, you know, the red cape, you know, the devilish guy just here, you know, constantly telling us, it's not going to happen, you know. What I do, it's not going to make any difference. It's just too hard. It's not even worth trying. All is lost. That we constantly hear a voice like that on us. 
what we are good at is, yeah, let's keep listening to ourselves. Listening to this little voice whispering in our ears. No, it cannot be done. Yeah, God, I don't know if he really cares for you. No, you're not going to amount to anything. Yeah, just take a break from God. This is too hard. Or do it later. Do you want to get out of the miserable situation that you are in? Then what the scripture tells us is, instead of listening to your own voice, start talking to yourself. If you think about it, we spend most of our time listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. Because talking to self is this trained discipline because it just does not come naturally so often. You have to make these conscious efforts to say, ah, stop it. Whatever your thought is telling you that is not based on the scripture, that you cannot constantly entertain it and give the enemy the foothold in your thought life. The more you just allow the enemy and this, your own voice to take root, the, the harder it's going to get. You have to make the efforts to say, okay, stop. Stop listening to yourself because left to our devices, right, because of our sinful nature, we're going to constantly talk, to, we're going uh, to hear voices that are not based on the scripture, not based on the truth. And once we do that, it will have transforming effects on our soul and our spiritual life. So, you know, what do we say to ourselves, you ask? Here it says, he exhorts himself to turn to God and put his hope in him, right? The internal conversation in verse 5 and verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself. He says, why are you in, in turmoil within me? Stop listening. Was it talking? Hope in God. Turn to God. Seek him. Continue seeking him. Whoa. Is it me? I didn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, you know, left to our devices, we're just going to constantly hear this unbiblical, untrue voices from the flesh. So instead of listening to our subjective, flawed thoughts, talk objective truth to our own soul. As people say, preach the gospel to yourself. Gospel is not only for the unbelievers, but us Christians as well, we have to constantly remind ourselves, we have to constantly preach the gospel, the truth of God's word into our soul all the time because we are so prone to stray away or just quickly latch onto our own voices again, listening to it, and believe that that is true instead of what the word of God says. Preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself of the truth of God's word constantly. Because without, without talking to yourself, once again, you're going to, once again, fall back to your old, old way of thinking. And you're going to keep listening to your own voice. And the second thing, the last thing, um, and I will quickly um, end with this. Not only talk to yourself, but here, the psalmist says, talk to God. Talk to God. Right? In verse 8. 
By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So he's how he went about changing, talk to himself, uh, talk, to, talk to the self, and also talk to God in prayer and in praise. When we pray, when we uh, praise God, we are rehearsing who God is and what he has done, what he has accomplished for us. When we talk to God in this way, then our soul will get renewed. Communication with God is his way for us to have this hopeful soul again. The more we commune with God, the more resilient and hopeful we will be. Throughout his life, Jesus Christ praised the Father and he prayed to him constantly. He faced so many oppositions, so many turmoils, and yet he never stopped praying and praising God. That's how he was able to overcome. And in the end, having that resilient, hopeful mindset. Do you feel tired and weary? Do you feel like, oh, man, same old, same old? Don't listen to those voices. Talk to God in prayer. And also spend time praising God, remembering what, uh, the, the blessings that God has given you each and every day. That as you talk to self, as also you talk to God, right, that will surely turn our, turn our you know, desperate and difficult trouble situations in such a way, not that the situation itself may not, it may not change, but how we respond, our mindset, our attitude will change. That God will transform us into a more resilient and hopeful people that God has called us to. So may that be our understanding and mindset as we go before the Lord. Let's go before, before him and let's take a moment to pray.